How do communities differ in their perspectives of the Black Lives Matter movement from New Mexico to North Carolina to London? What questions do incoming freshmen have about Princeton? How do universities in the United States compare with those in the UK? I'm Susan Beck, and this is Peas in a Pod, Summer Edition, where I virtually sit down with different groups of students and have honest and open conversations about our perspectives on current events, our experiences at Princeton, and pretty much anything we want to talk about. In today's episode, I will be talking with three prefrosh, or members of Princeton's class of 2024, whose names are Andrew Somerville, Sinaya Nassetti, and Nathan Gage. This episode was recorded on Saturday, June 27th, and the P's we discuss are pastime, perspective, platform, and pitched. We discuss how the U.S. is perceived by the U.K., removing statues, affirmative action, movies during quarantine, and more. I hope you find meaning, as I did, in this conversation. Welcome back to Peas in a Pod. Alright, so I am now virtually sitting down with Sanaya, Nathan, and Andrew. Thank you all so much for joining me. Now, while you, the listener, get to know a little bit about each of them, I will also be getting to know them for the first time. So let's begin with some brief introductions, um, as we've done with every episode in the summer so far. Say your name, where you're living right now, and whether you would put pineapples on your pizza. Hi, everyone. I'm Sanaya Nassetti. Um, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I've never tried pineapples on pizza. Um, I guess I would. Um, not like opposed to it, but for sure I don't I don't know. But I mean I might I might try it eventually. Um hi, my name is Andrew Somerville. Um I'm living in Albuquerque, New Mexico right now. Um I'm so not picky with my pizza. I feel like that's like the opposite of every other person in the world. But like pizza's pizza. Just put whatever you want on it. I'm totally not against pineapples on pizza. It might be because you're you don't live in New York or Chicago or pizza obsessed places. Yeah, I feel like the, those are very polarized. Yeah. yeah. Um. What about you, Nathan? Um. What, should I say my name first? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. I'm Nathan. Uh. I'm living in London right now. Uh. And pineapple pizza. I. I no. I think. I think I. I like pineapple and pizza. I'm the same as Andrew. I don't really mind really. I'm relaxed about it. I'm relaxed about it. Wow, so chill. Um, our first P is also going to be introductory because, again, I don't really know you guys. I don't know you guys at all, actually. Um, our listeners don't know you. So before we We don't dive, know each other. Yeah, right. none of you guys know each other. <laughs> so before we dive into more serious topics, um, the first P is pastime, which is a synonym for hobby. So each of you's discuss or just say what one of your favorite hobbies or just the pastime of yours is and yeah and we can just go from there so anyone want to start um well especially now that we're like in quarantine it's easier for me to do this because we're like in the house all the time but I really like um watching movies I like film a lot um so I guess that would be the most prominent pastime I've had during this uh, quarantine stuff 
If anyone knows me, they know I'm kind of a film fanatic, so I need to know, what are your favorite genres? Do you have any directors you look up to? Like, what do you watch? Well, I like I like Martin Scorsese because um, I love, like, Wolf of Wall Street, um, Goodfellas, like, those type of movies. Um, but, like, my favorite movie would be, I don't know, I don't have, like, a favorite genre, but I do like The Matrix. That's my favorite movie of all time. I like Keanu Reeves. Um, I wouldn't say he's the best actor. I really like Leonardo DiCaprio, which is like, I mean, I guess everyone loves Leonardo DiCaprio, but I really do. I really like him in his films, but yeah, Matrix would be my favorite movie. Yeah, I I like The Matrix. I'm not obsessed, though. Um, oh. <laughs> but I will say, obviously, Martin Scorsese is one of the greats. All right. Andrew, pastime? Um. Mine is definitely kind of the opposite where like since everything shut down I couldn't do it. Um, I was a thespian in high school and so I really am like interested in outside of academics going into like theater. So I think I might try out for Fuzzy Dice or um, what's the other one? The Triangle Club. Mm, yeah. So, just for fun. Those are super cool. Those, those always been, like fun. Yeah. And Nathan? Um, so I'm like uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say football. I'm a big football, um, like which is soccer. Person. Soccer. That was yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm like a bit stubborn about it. Like I'm, I'm gonna say football for my like four years at Princeton, hopefully. Um, but yeah, so I do a lot of football coaching uh, for like young kids, and that's like something I'm quite passionate about because I quite like to um, kind of influence the younger generation. I like to do that a lot. Are you playing soccer, football at Princeton? No. Well, maybe like. Um, like with my mates or something, we're not like properly. Would you try out for like the club team? Um, that's a good question. I don't really know. I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think I just I, I stick to the casual stuff because I like to have fun when I play football. Um, not like take it too seriously. So yeah. Got it. All right. Our second P is perspective. So my question was, how has your perspective changed recently in light of the Black Lives Matter movement? Or what have you learned from the ways in which your community has been reacting? Um, I feel like everyone's community has been reacting differently. And it's really interesting to see what parts of the world, what parts of the United States are doing for their part and what they're not doing. So if you guys have any thoughts on that. Um, I think I've quite a bit to say about this. Um, Because the UK has been... It's been a bit of a strange time for the UK at the moment because, um, like, right after George Floyd's death, we had protests in, like, London and loads of other big cities in the UK. And there was, van like, vandalisation on, like, um, old statues. So there's a statue of Winston Churchill in London. And on the bottom of the statue, someone spray-painted... Uh, it says Winston Churchill's name, and then it says, was a racist spray painted underneath it and people got like very defensive and annoyed about this because he's like a war hero but he also was like a white supremacist and just like a a really not nice guy um so there's been lots of like debate and stuff about that recently and the week after there were counter protests from a bunch of middle-aged white people basically who came to like defend the statue um so it's been very strange in the uk and there's actually there's a, a city called Bristol that was kind of like built on the slave trade and there was a statue of a slave trader that was like aggressively taken down by the locals 
and there's been a lot of debate around that and a de debate around like whether we should take statues down or if it's like a productive thing to do especially in like such an aggressive way like the the video has um like a group of like a bunch of people they have a rope tied to the statue they yank it down and when it comes down everyone starts stamping on the statue it's a really good video it's, it's quite a funny video um but it's like quite an aggressive way to do it yeah um definitely in the u.s too the whole idea of statues toppling and sort of markers of our society in the past but also the present there definitely is a lot of debate about whether it's one is it productive two should we just do it like is that our responsibility or how can we divert these efforts to more community building but should we even divert those efforts like is taking down statues and renaming buildings that are named after confederate leaders for example is that a method of community building and i think there is a lot of interesting discussion around it um a lot of memes too it's kind of sad like the whole cancel yale trend was made as a joke obviously but also like why was that never controversial <laughs> earlier on when they when they created the name of the school um yeah it's, it's interesting as well because um a few days after these these like incidents happened um the prime minister tweeted it was like an eight eight tweet long thread about how um by doing this we're like erasing history and we are trying to edit our past and stuff like that but i kind of just think that like a statue is meant to be cele like celebratory right you put a statue up to celebrate someone's life so by keeping it there like i kind of think you're actively continuing to celebrate them i i totally agree i also think it has dangerous potential in igniting white supremacist ideals and because of that it is a responsibility to take them down so i agree with you yeah like i would add something because um especially when you're talking about um the installing of these statues as a symbol of like celebrating the figures which you know is true and the thing is like a lot of these people talking about history and stuff with like celebrating these war heroes or whatever um, especially like the, the confederate um, soldiers and stuff um, but a lot of the times the a majority of the statues that were installed were made way after the war had ended and this was sort of in the the jim crow era so imagine there's these statues being um, built of these confederate war heroes um, and you know the backing of the whole confederate army and what they were fighting for and then we have the installing of jim crow laws and the segregating um, and the separate but equal, you know, um, era. And it's just like, there's a reason why. Um, so exactly, I would, I would um, agree um, emphatically about that. Just like, what are we really celebrating? And we have to think why these were, were installed in the first place. You know, we're celebrating heroes that fought for the continuation of traumatic and horrific treatment of human beings. So, yeah. Agree. I find it really interesting that um I don't know if you guys heard, but like the uh Wilson College being renamed and so is that happened like, today. What do you school? Happened today, uh, like two yeah. hours ago or something. Um I think it's really cool. Um but also like too late as well, right? Right. Too late and not only too late to happen. Like exactly. It's like that's this is only the beginning. Definitely a lot more needs to happen in the future. And there's a there's like a whole Instagram page on like changing the name of Woody Woo, but it's also like 
digging deeper and it's like we need to change curriculum and we need to change you know administrative policies and we need to make it to where things are more comfortable and more i don't know what i'm trying to say but it's just like this is only the beginning of the progress at princeton at least i will say though they were just not creative in renaming the school. Like, seriously, <laughs> the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs and then naming yeah. naming Wilson. I was talking about this with my friends earlier, but naming Wilson College the first college is so confusing because it's right next to Frist Campus Center. And your phone's going to autocorrect Frist to first because so, it already does do that. So what, <laughs> you know, they really just couldn't have named it after a more inspiring figure. I don't know. I think they, I don't know how much thought was put into that. It, it, seemed, it seemed like a bit rushed. Someone texted in one of the group chats and said, uh, it's no longer Woody Woo, it's Pretty Prin, which is like, that's the whole school, I guess. <laughs> that is true. I'm curious, actually. So, Andrew, you live in New Mexico. Yes. I've never been in New Mexico. <laughs> no one I has. don't know much about New Mexico. I obviously, like, I've heard of Albuquerque um, as, like, the only city in New Mexico. <laughs> um, I'm curious to know how – so do you live, like, in Albuquerque or do you live, yeah, like, I live in the city. outside of it? Oh, okay. So how has Albuquerque reacted to the Black Lives Matter movement? Has there been a lot of division? Um. It's the whole state and the city are very Democrat controlled. So I think at a, a, like a leadership level, there hasn't been much division. Um, I haven't heard of, you know, much like people disagreeing. There's obviously like white supremacists and racist people still exist in New Mexico. But um, I don't know. There have been protests, obviously, and um, they were all super peaceful. One thing that did happen, it was like, there was a protest one night and then it ended at like 10 30 which is like normal and everyone went home from the actual protest and then at like midnight there were like a group of like 10 or so teenagers who went around and just started vandalizing stuff claiming that they were like associated with the protest but like people who were at the protest know that it wasn't so it's like there were people who were like purposefully trying to create a bad name for the protests and like the movement in the city which is not good and then if you drive downtown every single business is boarded up for like precautionary measures which is like they're closed anyway so it doesn't affect the business but it's like are we what's the purpose here but also there was i don't know if it was i think it might have been up in santa fe which is the capital um there was a like a statue removal protest of juan don onate which is like a spanish conquistador and there's a statue of him and they were like protesting to remove it and they had like ropes and they were like pulling it down and then this group called the new mexico civil guard which is pretty much just like a far-right neo-nazi group which is annoying that they are organized like that but they came and one person fired a shot into the crowd um and there's been a, a lot of like division about how the police department didn't act like properly and that they shouldn't have even been on site and then there's a bunch of people like white supremacists that are like defending him and saying that like oh he was like being surrounded he needed to fire that shot or something so that was like we were trending on twitter nationally for 
I remember I looked on Twitter one night and we were like number five on trending and I was like, oh great, wonder what's going on. And it was just, the whole thing was insane. What about in North Carolina? Um, so yeah, we're having protests too. And I went to a protest and it was really peaceful, but I know there are protests um, sort of more immediately after um, the George Floyd um, murder that um, were not so peaceful. And it kind of showed like, you know, a lot of the reason why people were protesting in the first place was the police brutality. And then there were just, you know, clear examples of that police brutality. Um, but thankfully I wasn't like, I didn't, the protest I was in stayed peaceful. Um, but yeah, a lot when like when Andrew was saying about the, um, like there were individuals who were coming to sort of like, um, you know, that vandalize and rioted and stuff. And they're kind of making a bad name for the Black Lives Matter movement. And they're not even a part of it, really. They're just trying to um, discredit the movement. And a lot of times you can see it all over social media, like they'll, they'll catch videos of people, like they're having a peaceful protest and then there are individuals who just go in and start like smashing windows and, and um, destroying like cars and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, and then the blame is put on Black Lives Matter by, um, you know, the media and stuff like that. So it's like, you have to fight like two battles at the same time. And it's um, really frustrating. Um, but I know in Charlotte, we had, um, I don't know if you heard, but there was like, they made a mural for the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was like um, hundreds of like um, individuals coming in and like drew, um, they wrote like the whole words and then they started like drawing on the, um, like around it and stuff. And then a couple of days later it was based, um, which is like, you know, it's just super frustrating when you're trying to, you know, create progress and then there's still ignorance out there trying to um, stop you but I mean they fixed it so it's um it's okay now and now like people like go there every day with their kids so it's really inspiring for like the youth to see that and it's good that people are teaching the right stuff or trying to at least um so yeah that's what's happening in Charlotte. I feel like I live in suburban Maryland which I don't know what is special about suburban Maryland, but although my community is definitely educated, there's there's definitely a strong sense of apathy. Um, and even if there is activism, I just feel like it took so such a short time for everyone to just sort of revert and go back to you know their lives as as they were before. And even though they are saying like they're not doing that it's I don't know like for me it has been a little discouraging seeing people go back to their aesthetic Instagrams and that's fine like I'm not going to judge your personal lifestyle but there's literally no change in how it was before and now and when people are like okay just because I'm posting normally doesn't mean I am ignoring the fact that things are happening sure great that you're acknowledging that but what's the change you know there's a lot of resources out there that can teach you what you can change literal action items that you can take if you have a platform so use it you know like don't just say that you're listening actually show that i am curious though in the uk this is a very blatant question how do you think people in england perceive the united states now versus half a year ago is there a lot of change in the way that you see us as a country or are you kind of like, ha ha, like 
the U.S. was like that all along. These are consequences that should have happened a while ago. Um, there's kind of two things I'll say. One of them is like the media coverage has been very um, like one-sided. It's kind of like they're showing the the bad sides of the protest, like they're showing the riots and like the looting and stuff. So from the people that I've talked to, um, a lot of them kind of see the US as like this lawless place without any control. Um, but that, that's, not, that's not everyone. That's just like a few people. And then on the other side, um, people kind of see what's happening in the US and they think like racism and all those kind of problems are only a problem in the US and not a problem in the UK. That was like a big thing for a while. Like uh, a lot of the slogans at the protest were like, the UK is not innocent. Um, and it's true, of course, like racism is embedded so deep into the UK, but people just don't see it like that. And I think it's like partly a failure of our education system and partly just because, like you said, like people react to it for like two weeks after an incident and then after it, they kind of just forget. Yeah, I I am curious how the juxtaposition of the US versus every other country in the world affects people's mindset into thinking that their own country isn't as at fault um, or that their education systems are succeeding even if they're not succeeding to the greatest extent they're doing better than the U.S. you know sort of things like that obviously I will never know because I've always lived in the states but I've always thought about that. I think a lot of people in the UK like look down on the U.S. quite a bit um, just because of like guns and just like some like crazy stuff that happens in the US all the time like um on like UK Twitter the US is kind of like a running joke but it also means that people aren't like introspective towards their own country towards the UK um because we have like so many problems as well that's really interesting I'm not surprised but there is still such an embedded concept in America and I really believe this growing up even in high school I was like the U.S. is the best country in the world like I never challenged it um I never had mentors who were like think about it this is not true (laughs) I was just constantly reaffirmed that that was the right thing to believe I have a question about that you said like throughout high school how do you think that's continued at Princeton or do you think it's like from your experience That's a loaded question. I will say everyone's experience is different. Um, Going to a school like Princeton, before I entered the school, like walked onto the campus and I was just in this phase of like, I'm going to Princeton. So basically when I was in your position, I didn't really think about the elitism that was going to come. I didn't think about the roots of the Ivy League institution that I was going to be a part of. I just thought, wow, I am so blessed. I'm so thankful. This is my journey. You know, all like the cliches were just coming to my head. Um, And I think it did get to me a little bit. But right when I did go onto campus, personally, I did have a moment, many moments of realization that Princeton is famous for her students spending a lot of money you know we have like 10 free shirts in the first two weeks (laughs) but 10 free shirts does not equal building a better education system you know what I mean so I think there is actually a confusion between wow Princeton has so many resources for their undergrad students versus really trying to make better leaders for the future um we definitely produce a lot of great people obviously like I don't okay that's weird to say produce but 
I didn't think about it before going to Princeton. And finally, seeing the disparities between the super wealthy and the super not wealthy at a school like Princeton was honestly a culture shock. I, I've i always just sort of like meandered in the middle, but even that, like I realized my own privileges and it's definitely been alarming, I will say, but I think positive in the long run because now I know that I, I want to advocate for those things and beforehand I was complacent. I was complacent about my own position in society and just thought everything was the everything was a blessing and I was just gonna go to a great school and get a good job like that was really what my outlook was and looking back it was it was very ignorant I think when people say I won't blabber on too much about this um I think when people say going to a place like Princeton I am I am blessed with so many resources and I will try to put that to use I think people often forget that one of those resources is like firsthand experiencing so many inequalities and that resource of being a firsthand witness to you know the differences between students backgrounds and how that sort of translates into attitudes behaviors debates that is such a valuable resource and we often separate ourselves from viewing that but if you really really you know take a moment to look around you when you're at Princeton you see it. And yeah, I think paying attention to that is important. I like how you use the word produce. Because I feel like I I see, like comparing UK universities and US colleges, like very interesting. Like I feel like the US colleges are like a a lot more like businesses, Um, like with interest to like make the people that are going to donate a lot of money happy. So like I, I, I find legacy privilege like really strange. Like that's just that's not a thing in the UK, um, but yeah, it's just weird for like an outsider looking in. Yeah, it's it's so funny because technically we're all five hundred one c threes, but the for profit marketing systems in every rich institution, it, it there's just so yeah. obvious. Or even just like the different in price of the education as well. Like um, in the UK, there's a cap, so the cap is like nine thousand pounds a year. Um, so that's like the max you can pay for tuition anyway. And in the US, it's like... Wait, I'm converting that. Hold on. Nine... Okay, I was about to ask, how many dollars is that? <laughs> I, think, I think it's £9,750. Is the cap? Is the cap for tuition. And then there's like maintenance loans and stuff, which goes a bit above that, but yeah. Okay, that is $12,000. Yeah. Wow. So like... You... Is that like annual tuition? Annual, yeah. So you can go to Oxford, Cambridge any university for that much tuition anyway that's like a local like that's like a local state university yeah, here yeah. like my UNM the University of New Mexico is probably a little more than that wow it's mad um do you guys have anything else to say about perspective there's a it's like super trending on YouTube but there's a video it's like a series now called um uncomfortable conversations with a black man it's got like a couple million views, so I'm sure a lot of people know about it. But it's this guy and he like answers questions that white people are like too afraid to ask. But it's really educational and it's definitely worth it. It's like nine minutes long and then he has like four or five episodes so far. So what is it called? Uncomfortable conversa- conversation with a black man. Take note of that. Check it out. Yeah, I would add to just 
the the comfort in being complacent is like very um easily overtaken by a lot of the youth of today well i think there's there's a duality in that there's a lot of us that are very like you know militant in our sort of like are seeking out for revolution and then there's a lot of us that are stuck in the privilege and good with being complacent so definitely those i would just you know there's one thing to educate which you know anyone can do um but there's also a thing where you can you know attempt to to try and make action and do change because you know first you have to read the books and and watch the films and, and videos and educate but you also have to do something with that education especially if you have that privilege you use it and you sacrifice for those who don't and with that privilege you do what you can for others so yeah stop avoiding the problem yeah definitely okay our third p is platform which has been a recurring p this summer and it's just when i basically let you guys talk about whatever you want you can ask a question of your own for the rest of us or you can talk about something really niche but super important that you don't think students talk enough about so do you guys have anything for that yeah so i as i said there were like lots of protests in the uk and i didn't i wanted to go to the protests but i i was a bit wary because of the whole like pandemic stuff so i i wanted to find a way to influence the movement from home so i kind of went on like i i tried to target like education and i went on like a big research grind to try and figure out how I could uh, like kind of put pressure on my old school to implement more uh, education about black history and uh, the empire and stuff like that, because it's just stuff that we're not really taught about in school. I don't know if you guys are taught, taught about racism and like the history of the US. Um, but we're not taught about the history of the UK at all. Not yeah. enough, definitely. Yeah, so same. Like even like scandals are still going on to this day in the UK and it's just not talked about. So there was this incident um, in like the nineties of this guy called Stephen Lawrence. He's a black guy. And he was like walking down the street with his mate and these five white guys came and stabbed him and killed him. And like the whole investigation and the whole like trial was like full of injustice and neglect. Uh, the people weren't convicted until like 20 years later. And there had to be a whole trial about for no, a trial against the police because like all of the neglect and stuff that they um, forced onto the family. They even with testimonies from the family, they the police actively tried to denounce the family, try and make them seem like they weren't um, like worthy of an opinion about it. Um, and we're not taught about things like that. We're not taught about um, like the whole empire, like the empire. Um, we're often like taught that the empire was like at its height it like owned a third of the world or something a third, of, a third of the land in the world but we're not taught about like the massacres and all the people that were killed and just like how like for a very small island the uk is very like big in the world and that's because of the lives that it's destroyed on the way basically and i sent an email to my head teacher saying you should put more, put more education about this in your curriculum and uh, I talked about a charity in the UK called the Black Curriculum. And what the charity wants to do is to try and implement more black history in the curriculum, in the national curriculum. So I know it's different in the US, but in the, well, I think it is anyway. In the UK, we have a national curriculum that all schools have to follow. And for history, it's a bit, um, it's very like whitewashed. It's very like Eurocentric. 
So we don't talk about the empire. We don't talk about uh, like African history, stuff like that. Um, and this is what the black curriculum are trying to do more. And it's, it's been successful so far. My head teacher kind of conceded and said that they, they should do it. And I'm waiting for another teacher to reply to me, but um, it's a slow process and it's annoying. It's, an, it's annoying having to wait. But I think that it's something I've, I've tried to get other people across like my circles to do it as well. And um, I think education is like the best way that we can combat like injustices in our society. Hopefully anyway, that's, that's, the, that's the plan. That is super cool. Um, what is it? Black the curriculum. Ba- the black curriculum. Yeah, it's like a it's like a uh, UK based charity uh, made by like two like a few graduates, um, and they they're trying to put pressure on the government as well. Um, they they emailed or they they started a campaign to get the education secretary to like notice them basically, and the guy just like ignored them. So their campaign is still ongoing and there's still like a lot of work they have to do. Um, but hopefully it's going to get more and more attention as people become more aware of the problems. The education system, I feel like in the United States, I agree that education is one of the fundamentals of continuing racism because history will always repeat itself if we only read white authors in school if we're not talking about how slavery did not end when with the Emancipation Proclamation or that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 did not end racism, that Barack Obama becoming president did not end racism. We're not talking about that in school. I did not know so much, thank goodness, to these resources recently that I've been pointed toward. I've finally learning about Black Wall Street. I'm finally learning about how the 13th Amendment is screwed up. So education really is a root. And the problem with a lot of politicians is that they are lobbied by super powerful corporations who give them money. And in return, they need funding. So with the current administration, for example, like Trump's proposal for the next fiscal year i mean education is like down the drain it already has been down the drain there's just teachers are being defunded constantly and that money is going to tobacco coal you know oil companies because it's for them it's like here and now how can i get reelected? there is no sense of how do we make better circumstances for future generations there's absolutely no consideration for for the future such as climate change you know there's so much lobbying against climate change because it affects profits now it affects money now for companies but that's just my two cents on the american education system i think adding on top of that you said that like we only read white authors which is very important to discuss because like even when we do discuss racism in school, it's whitewash racism. We read Harper Lee instead of Toni Morrison. And that's not, that's not the discussion that should be made because when you look at it from a white person's perspective, they do say that like, oh yeah, racism's done. That's how it was back then, but now it's different. And it's, you have to analyze how it's remained and how it's like, it's like, yes, those like Jim Crow doesn't exist anymore, but there's still, the institution is still extremely racist and, in the way it operates. And that's not being discussed nearly enough, I don't think. Not at all. I would say, um, 
like I read something um, a couple of days ago where they were um, comparing the treatment um, after um, the Holocaust and the World War II of um, Jewish people and um, they're kind of Germany's like actions towards, I guess, um, repenting or, you know, trying to fix, attempting to fix what they had done versus, you know, what America has done in um, response of slavery and their attempt to fix it. And it's really like appalling because reading like, um, you know, Germany's what I heard. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not for sure, but I know that uh, they're saying Germany has um, taught a lot of like an education, um, the, all of the history and to be shameful of, you know, that ugly past that they had. Um, and they were, you know, um, outlawing all of like swastikas and all that sort of Nazi um, memorabilia and all that stuff where in America, we see Confederate flags all like in the South, especially all the time. And, you know, there's a difference between, yeah, history is important to be remembered, but it's also important for the youth to understand what history is ugly and what history should be celebrated. And I feel like America has not done its job in making us shameful of that past and, and doing its job in attempting to fix, you know, the mess that they made. Um, so, yeah, that's I would add that to um speaking on education and stuff like that. I, I do want to say like something positive about like the UK and the whole like movements at the moment. Um, so like the music scene in the UK is very aware of the problems of the UK. So the people that I are, I would argue are like the biggest in the UK, like in the rap scene wise anyway, are these two guys called Dave and Stormzy. I don't know if you guys have heard of them. I doubt you guys have. No. <laughs> um, no. Well, they're basically two, two big rappers in the UK. Um, and they both have songs that um, like call out racism and call out prejudice in the UK. And there are these awards called the Brits, which is like these big music awards. I have um, heard of that. I don't know what the equivalent is. I've heard of it. The Brits, yeah. The Brits. And the guy Dave, he did a performance of the Brits of his song Black, which is about like his experience of racism in the UK. And in that song, he like, he added a verse for the Brits and he openly called out the Prime Minister for being racist which is like something that's so nice to see because it kind of shows that there we have people in big positions already who are influencing and who are trying to make change from the bottom up basically. And there are, there are more people like that in the UK. There's people in parliament who are like pushing for it as well and always holding the government to account. Um, so I think in the UK there are positives, but there also is like a lot of work to do still. Yeah, there's a lot of power in art music, different forms of performance, sports, um, because a lot of cultural figures are sort of propelled to a pedestal where they have a platform. Um, it is super interesting to see who uses it and who doesn't. Um, and that's really interesting that you say in the UK, musicians have been very vocal. I, I feel like in the US, there are definitely a lot of musicians who have been trying to use their platform for good and like calling out bad issues. But interestingly, I took a class on American cultural history and even the music in the United States is so fundamentally rooted in in racism. Very simply, for example, the idea of rock and roll being white and the idea of soul being black. 
and how in the beginning people don't learn about this in school i never learned about it until until my class but the magicians who actually were rock and roll but were black influenced future rock and roll artists who were white but very quickly the division was made that you know there was soul and then rock and roll like you know when you think of elvis when you think of the beatles you don't think of their black influencers so even music it's not taught well Sanaya, you had something to say in the beginning um oh yeah well okay so um i guess I'll talk about affirmative action and I'll ask of you guys to speak on your perspectives and opinions about it. Um, but since I have like an example, I guess I'll like start that out and then I'll ask like, you know, for comments or whatever. Um, but right after like a bunch of like acceptances and decisions um, had come out, um, I'm like, you know, we all meet like a bunch of people and sort of the network that have like got accepted to these um, schools specifically like T20s and Ivy League sort of institutions and so I'd found like a group of friends through this and um, one of us made like a, a TikTok um, about it and we were all black by the way um, but um, under the comment like you know it was I wouldn't say it was viral it, was, I mean, it wasn't like viral but it did get a lot of um, attention and um, a lot of the comments were like positive but a lot a lot and overwhelmingly amount of comments were um you know consistently talking about affirmative action and you know how they kind of like um took away like the recognition we got based on you know saying because we were black that we didn't deserve it and that we took away spots from more deserving individuals and just kind of like assuming already that we hadn't worked hard enough to get there just because you know we were black and we got into you know brown for instance stuff like that so i become like my community i um, come from a predominantly black and hispanic sort of school so transitioning from that to like already seeing like the the outpour of these discriminatory comments were just like it was like I already knew I, I have a well like known history about it, but seeing it firsthand, like already, it just kind of like, it didn't surprise me, but it was like, it was just saddening and just, it just disheartened me to know that people are so like uninformed about policies and who actually benefits from it. And just the idea that you're, you're just not capable of, you know, getting into these schools because your skin color and and not because you know there are umpteenth amount of people that are all hardworking who got in you know there are some people that worked just hard as me and didn't get in but it's not to say that I didn't deserve to get in because they didn't um it's just like sometimes it's you know they they really do like I guess look at holistically and like sometimes they need maybe they needed another person from Charlotte and they had like one too many people from I don't know, Tennessee. I don't know. But you know what I mean? It's just like, it was, it was kind of disappointing and sad, but um, I feel like I'd like to hear like a lot of like those perspectives on affirmative action. So. I will quickly like to shout out. Um, there's an Instagram page. I don't know if you've guys seen it, but it's called black Ivy stories and it's just 
uh, it's anonymous submissions by black students at all the Ivy Leagues. And a recent one that was um, a student from Princeton was talking about how not only a recent one, a multiple and at other schools, their experiences being directly told, oh, so you're black, you don't actually deserve to go here. Oh, so, you know, you had an easier time. Oh, you didn't have to work as hard. Things like that. Um, and it it is so disheartening. It is a very, like, brute force way of solving a problem, I think. Um, like, to solve discrimination, you positively, positively discriminate against um, other people. Like, I think the solution is just, equality in the rest of society like if i know that's like a very um like unrealistic thing but that is like the ultimate solution to it um but i think when that's not a thing then projects like affirmative action are very needed um so i've got i've got an example from the uk this guy stormzy that i was talking about the big rapper guy he paid for a scholarship at cambridge for two black students this was a couple years ago and it's been scrapped now because people were like very against it so obviously it's like a form of form of affirmative action, but people were saying like, oh, why are you making it exclusive to black students when there are white students who are just as able who can get in as well? But what you have to look at like the context of why stuff like that's needed. And but e- even just like to the point of like a young black student in like London, for example, might not look to Cambridge as a place that they think they can get to because they don't see a lot of people like them there or they don't see a lot of um people from his area going to places like that and i think affirmative action is needed in places like that where there could be some lost potential otherwise and i I do agree sanaya like uh, my dad's caribbean so i have kind of felt like at some point he's like am i just there to tick a box um and i think that's just cool because of like how cloudy the admissions process is like no one really knows where they got in like you, you can you can guess and you can try and figure out but no one knows really and I guess we try and plug those holes with like stuff that we know has an influence there's like there's that metaphor where it's like if we've been running a race since like the beginning of history or like I guess 1400 is where you could start then like black people have been held back for 400 years and then you know they've been they've had you know no shoes for 60 years and then just like that metaphor where it's like you can you can make them equal now or you can like give them the same opportunities now but you're still so far ahead of them that it doesn't equate at all you know what i mean like we've had a 400 plus year head start considering everything that that there obviously has to be some reparation made to to achieve any type of equality in all aspects and i think affirmative action is like one way to handle that i i obviously understand the purpose, but I think the way it's executed sometime and the way it's understood on like the outside, especially what you said, Sanaya, is like, can be damaging to some of the recipients. And it's like, how do we wanna, how, I can't, I mean, I I don't, I don't have an answer and I don't, you know, have a solution necessarily, but it seems like the intent is positive, but it's like the way it's executed is almost, you know, can be more damaging in some instances. We talked a little bit about this on our last episode, but imposter syndrome and that idea of like, I don't know why I got in, so what if I wasn't meant to, et cetera, et cetera. And the feeling of being not as capable as your surroundings or whatever. 
everyone needs to understand and it definitely took me a little bit to realize this too is that what is the point of thinking about why you got in if you already got in and from that point on like you have you only have what is in front of you so what is like what is your end goal of plugging in those holes and thinking what got me into the school no use what you have now to you know effectively and to its maximum capacity like use the money of the school use the resources you have a unique opportunity here to you know capitalize upon privileged resources so stop thinking about what got you here and just start working on what is here and what you have here yeah but I I don't mean to invalidate feelings of imposter syndrome or feeling that you know you don't either you don't belong or you don't you know you're confused as how you got in because they are definitely valid and so many people especially at um, schools like Princeton feel that way I just really want people to look more inward than outward and think what they can do uniquely and specifically their passions and interests and using those things to better society, better yourself, better your friends, etc. But those are just my thoughts on that. I think that's like a really powerful message. Just like stop thinking about why and just go for it. I like that. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing to look at when you when you're examining affirmative action too, because like you have to take into account the reasoning why it was put in place in the first place. Like, even if the the execution isn't, you know, isn't perfect and the benefit, you know, the benefactors are just not, you know, it's not ideal. Um, you have to remember, like, some people just have better opportunities that are given. And, you know, you, you know, like a lot of things are like people examine stats and stuff and, you have to remember like some people are, are able to have private tutors that let them practice SAT exams every every weekend. You know, it's just, and then versus like the student that can only afford to take the SAT once. You know, it's, there's certain things they have to put into account. I feel like it's naive for people to feel like everything should just be colorblind maybe, or just like neutral when you, when, when we're not in a world where things are, you know, just for everyone and equal for everyone. Um, so yeah, like I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I was just gonna say equity is not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting how you talk about that um, because, like, comparing to the UK again, I feel like the whole admissions process in the US is like very commercialized. So like, you can pay to do your SAT or ACT like however many times you want, and you can like pay to get a tutor or you can pay. Um, for like counseling on your like application and in the UK that's just like not really a thing um, like the processes are completely different I feel like the way the US system set up is it's so easy to cause um, like massive gaps between the lowest and the biggest like the biggest can pay for so much and the lowest can't pay for anything like it just causes massive like, valleys of inequality I think kind of like taking a step back and looking at imposter syndrome, one thing that kind of, I think we all kind of knows this because we've been through it, but like before, while I was like during the admissions process, one thing that like kind of kept my head up a little bit was not in like a cocky way, but like the, the comparisons that are made and like the things that are taken into account aren't like, like New Mexico is 49th in 
education and our ACT average is like 17. So like they're obviously not going to like put my application right next to someone who's from like Massachusetts who has been in like a private school their entire life and like so it's like I understand that I understood that going into it and so I think that kind of like made me a little bit more relieved and that's kind of like being able to look at that on the other side also has been helped with my like imposter syndrome as well being like okay yes this person has like these amazing like scholars and they're just like they've worked so hard on like and they've created a you know software or whatever and they're just like they seem to be leaps and bounds ahead of me but also like look at the opportunities that they've been handed and like look at, at you know where they started i hate when people take this whole you know holistic concept of affirmative action and target the individuals right and let's look at the flip side of that look at princeton 40 percent of undergraduate students go to private schools am i going to approach a private school student and say ha ha you were rich so that's why you're here you know like i would never do that i'm not going to target you as a person and attack your character and your capability but holistically you know it is kind of crazy that 40 percent of students at princeton are from private schools is that saying anything about individuals no i'm not going to attack them but there are definitely changes to the entire admissions process that need to be implemented um, so that there is more equitable access overall. I think that was a good segue into our next P, which is Princeton. So on a more positive note, what are you guys looking forward to? Uh, what goals do you have? And you can also talk about your concerns, ex- expectations, um, questions. Um, I am so looking forward to being stimulated by school again. It's been so long, especially regarding like online school, but like even before that, I feel like my senior year was focused on more things than education. And I like wasn't enjoying the things that I used to. So like being able to like take classes that I want to and kind of like specialize how I learn, I'm just like really looking forward to like enjoying school again, the way that I know that I have before. I was gonna say the same actually, I'm just looking forward to like learning again. So in the UK, we have these things called A-levels, which are like our end of year exams. So we do two years of like education, then we do our A-levels at the end of it all. And all of the A-levels across the country got like cancelled. So we're going to get our predicted grades now effectively. So I haven't done any type of learning for like three months. So I'm like really looking forward to just like being um, challenged again, like intellectually. I would say on the other side of that, a less academic sort of um, scope, I'm definitely looking forward to sustaining and living on my own um, first, because I just come from a, a, a sort of, not strict, definitely like my parents are definitely smart in how they raise me, but I've never just had the opportunity to, to you know, make decisions like virtually all my decisions on my own and and live and provide for myself and I think it's super exciting I'm really um excited for that for that extra freedom that I get um so hopefully we can like go live on on the campus in in the fall but so yeah like I'm I really hope we do because obviously I want the safety precautions there but yeah, you know, because especially for us, because we don't have the college experience. So it's like if we we've already missed like a lot of our senior year because of this. So like 
at least like something that we can experience is a little bit of the college sort of living on campus situation. But I feel like it is important to remember that like these are unprecedented times and, you know, there are some sacrifices you have to make. Um, so I'm just going to hope that they make the best decision. I saw the email this morning from President Eisgruber about Wilson renaming, and I was like, oh my God, the decision came early, like, they're gonna let us know. And then I like read it and I was like, okay, that's good news, but I'm like, I got so excited. Yeah. I swear to God, they keep on saying early July, but if early July means July 14th, like, I'm gonna scream. <laughs> I'm going right to go crazy. I really do hope you guys get to go on campus and everyone which is why it makes me so frustrated how horribly our country is handling this pandemic. But talking about the freedom thing, I personally was someone who in like seventh grade was like, I want to go to college. (laughs) I grew up in a pretty strict household. Um, I never felt like I had a lot of independence with my lifestyle. And I don't want to blame my parents or say like they had horrible parenting techniques, but I just always felt like I outgrew the sort of confines that I felt like I was in growing up. So when I got to college and then when I had to go home from COVID, it was like, wow, I had so much freedom in college and I miss it so much. And um, I will tell you, like, do definitely cherish and look forward to that freedom because little things like being able to wake up when I want, eat breakfast, you know, go drink coffee when I want to choosing what classes to take that freedom is amazing so it's coming from a strict pretty strict household i will say that was that was definitely amazing and it was all that i really wanted it to be i think i'm like completely the same as well um but like freedom for me is like in a different form because i'm going like so far away from home but that's always kind of like what i wanted to do because i didn't apply to any universities in london i always wanted to go far and i think i'm just like really looking forward to exploring like a whole different culture not a whole different culture but like a very different culture that is true did you anticipate going to a college in the united states like at what point did you think you were going to um so my, my story is a bit weird um because I, I feel like i don't know but i feel like at like u.s universities or even like uk universities international students are like seen as these like really rich people that can like pay loads of money to go there um but i'm like the opposite so I applied to like it's, I applied to this program, which is kind of like Questbridge, but a bit different. Um, it's called the Sutton Trust US program, and basically, people from like low middle income backgrounds uh, apply to this program, and they help you apply to US unis. And I only applied to this program initially to get a free trip to the US, um, <laughs> and then they kind of they kind of talked about uh, like US colleges and like the whole like liberal arts system and stuff like that. And I kind of like fell in love a little bit. Um, So last year, I didn't anticipate myself being in this position now. Um, But I'm very happy I am. Yeah, the idea of going away from home. Yeah, that was definitely something I wanted, even though Maryland is only like three hours away. Do you guys have any questions for me or for um, anyone at Princeton? I guess like I'm curious about like, well, I, I think I know, I, I try to research a lot about the academics portion of Princeton because I think that's more so like the website can try and provide that more. So, but like the social life, like, I don't know, how is that? Just to be candid. You know? Yeah, no, that this is the point. 
because of COVID, I really don't know what's going to happen. You know, like how strict are they going to be in enforcing no parties? Do you guys know about the street? Uh, yeah, yeah, eating clubs. Yeah, so the eating clubs and all of that. Like, will they be closed? You know, I don't know. But let's hypothetically say that this is in a non-COVID world and you're asking me that question because that's the only way I know how to answer it. Everyone has a different experience with Princeton social life. Um, I know people who love the street and are like every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they're they're at the street. Um, because Thursday nights are kind of big. A lot of students don't have classes on Fridays. Then there's people like me. I feel mediocre about it. I've definitely had fun nights out on the street. I've definitely had nights where I was out there and I was like, why am I here? <laughs> and then I know people who absolutely hate it for very valid reasons. Um, there's definitely a culture of exclusivity. In terms of comparisons with other colleges that I know my friends go to, because Princeton is literally like a town <laughs> and the nearest city is like an hour away, overall, you can try to find your own space for a social life. I know a lot of people, by the time they're seniors, they sort of, like, if they don't go to the street, they just sort of do their own thing with their friends. But if you are, like, a city person, there isn't that. Like, there's no, we're not a bar school. We're not a, you know, we don't have nightclubs. <laughs> so it, Princeton has a very unique social life in that it is pretty much consolidated onto a street with 10 mansions on it. So... Yeah, I do hope, though, that the street changes and becomes less toxic. I will probably join an eating club because the food. <laughs> and it's a good network. Like, I, a lot of them, you ha form a lot of good connections. But I also know a lot of people who don't join eating clubs and choose to go independent, um, live in a co-op, and they love it. So everyone has their own preferences. I don't want to speak for everyone, yeah, but social life has definitely been interesting, to say the least. Also, because at Princeton, the course load is insane, you will feel like you have no time. <laughs> like, sometimes you will really feel like you have no time for social life, and the balance is definitely tough. Do you find yourself leaving campus a lot? If it's to, like, Princeton Town or, like, New York or whatever? Yeah, that's a good question. I am a huge proponent of leaving campus. Princeton is called the orange bubble for so many reasons and I leave campus thankfully because of mock trial I'm on the mock trial team so a lot of if you know if you're on a sports team if you are on a competitive team of any kind you do leave campus for tournaments and things like that which I'm grateful for but I feel like even that it's like I'm forced to leave next year I want to make an effort to leave campus voluntarily more um I will say because I lived in Maddie, Rocky and Maddie are their closest res colleges to Nassau Street, which is the little small quaint town. Um, I have always gone to Nassau. Like I go to Nassau every morning. I go to Nassau to do work. And I know people who don't live in Rocky and Maddie think it's too far, even though it's literally a 10 minute walk. And then they just, you know, find their own study spaces, which is fine. But definitely explore Nassau. There's a lot of cute restaurants and fun food places. New York is a, what is it, maybe a $12 train ticket away, Philly an hour away, you know, it's totally fine if you just want to leave like on your own on a weekend, um, you don't have to go with friends, you can if you want, leaving campus 
is definitely a good refresher. So highly recommend trying to find ways to leave campus. There's also so many free ways and cheap ways to do so. There's so many programs in res colleges for like $25, you can have a bus ride to New York, see an entire Broadway show, for example. They sell out in like a minute though. So (laughs) programs like that are definitely in high demand, but leave campus for sure. I have a two part question. where is your favorite place to study and then when you're there do you find it where you're just like you like unpack all your stuff and get organized and then like scroll through twitter for two hours or you like do you find it easy to like grind and like study hard i think it's i think it's really skewed when you ask me that question because i'm pretty proud of like my productivity um i i for some reason can find it super easy to like sit down and do my work because I will say I'm not a huge social media person. Um, I'm definitely on Instagram and I try to use Instagram as a platform for many things, but I don't look at Twitter. I don't use Snapchat. I Facebook once in a blue moon, only for like different groups and stuff. Reddit, does that even count? What about okay, TikTok? I'm gonna stop talking. <laughs> but I, I don't have a TikTok. If, if anyone knows me like really well, I don't think you can imagine me with a t- TikTok. Oh, That's the kind no. of person I am is like, you know, but everyone's different. And so I'm not represented of the whole student body. Favorite study spots. I have a couple. Firestone is definitely one that many will agree on. It's our university library. It has six floors. There are so many nooks and crannies that you can find new places you can constantly find. I love Firestone. It can also feel like a dungeon because every student is there um, weekends before midterms and finals, literally never more packed everyone is looks so depressing so it can feel like a dungeon but a lot of people go there if they're like i need to grind out an essay i need to go to firestone um other than firestone i always study on nassau so i'm always in starbucks free wi-fi you don't even have to buy anything i just like being there i because i'm i like a more bustle bustle you know i know a lot of people like the silent environment there's a lot of silent reading rooms in firestone yeah i love starbucks the Panera, unfortunately, just closed because of COVID. They just went out of business, uh, which is really sad. Yeah. Wow, that is so basic. Firestone and Starbucks. There's a lot more. There's a lot more interesting. <laughs> there's a lot of study places across campus. <laughs> I promise. Um, even just like studying on the line. Uh, Murray Dodge is a nice place. They have free cookies and milk 24-7. I think I have a friend that works there. Yeah. So they're a nice study place. There's a lot. Princeton people listening to this are probably like hating me right now because I'm not shouting out like every single place in the world. But um, (laughs) yeah, you'll find them on your own. Like you really will. All right. So let's go into pitched, which is the final category. Um, And this is answering questions from listeners. So this is a pretty broad question. And this is asked from Gideon. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But how do you feel about remote learning? Because it is kind of broad, I think I can suggest you think about it either as like how was remote learning in the end of your senior year or because I will say obviously without conviction, but even if we are on campus, like a lot of classes will be online. So if that was the case or if all classes were online, for example, how do you feel about it? I feel like everyone who's who's like done remote learning knows this, but it takes so much willpower even like if you think like senior year going to class was difficult, like 
somehow logging on and doing it from home is so much more difficult. You just like don't want to do it. And that kind of took over me the past like two months, the last two months of school where I was like, I didn't do it mostly because it was like optional, but it just like, I feel like it'd be so much easier if it wasn't remote. And I think it'd be a lot more participation. <laughs> yeah. There's just like no motivation for me. Like if I'm home, and I have the opportunity to be in my bed and not do work because the teacher's not there. I'm not, that's just not like, you know, the goal. I don't know. I just, I wouldn't want remote learning. I don't know. I just would have no motivation at all. I agree. I think I'd, I think I would not like it a lot, but then again, like it's very out of our control. So I feel like I can't really moan about it. It's kind of just like a given. That's true. There's just so much fatigue with Zoom. Like, I was reading this really interesting article about how crazy Zoom fatigue is because when you're in a classroom in person, you don't have to think about the nuances in your the way you present yourself. But if you're in a classroom discussion and it's online, you have to make sure you're not talking over other people, you're portraying the right facial expressions, you know? Like, there's so many things to think about, so it's so easy to get exhausted the lack of motivation is super, super clear. Um, in one of my precepts in the spring, the minute we went remote, half the students stopped speaking. Like when we were on campus, every student participated. So yeah, I really hope um, you guys at least experience a lot of your classes in person. There's like, I know my school district has announced that next semester they're doing um, half and half or like half of the students are on campus for two days and then they do remote learning the other three days and it's like vice versa for the other half of the population. And I don't know how I feel about that. It just seems like, I mean, it'd be nice to have some on class on campus or like in person, but I kind of see the like the motive for doing it. It makes sense to me. I would not enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. It does require a lot of patience waiting for this pandemic to go away and waiting for people to, you know, be responsible. The administration has also made it like very clear that it's pretty much like we don't have an option. Like if it's remote learning, everyone has to like they sent out an email that was like, we're doing we're being very limited with gap years because that's going to create a problem. And so it's like as much as we want to like experience everything to the fullest there's like almost a, a forced aspect where no matter what happens we have to just go along with it sort of like a tangent question is hypothetically if fall was online and you were actually granted a guaranteed return would you consider taking either a gap semester or a gap year definitely oh i wouldn't i don't know i want to like because like I want to go to med school and like do all that. So like another year and break. I don't know. I just never gap years. I've just never like considered except for like post like undergrad to like prepare for medical school. But I wouldn't like consider gap year. Like for me to just like be here, like home where I could. Just, yeah, I just wouldn't do that. Personally. I would take it in like travel or something. Well, I guess if there's a pandemic, you kind of couldn't. But yeah. What about you, Nathan? Um, I, I'm the same as Sonia. I don't think I would go for a gap year. I think I'm just like very ready to go to college and get all that stuff done. 
um, so I can like do stuff in the future. Um, I'm not like mentally ready for a gap year. I've never like considered it. So yeah. Yeah, I do have a respect for people who are very like, okay with delay. You know, personally, I am someone who's constantly anxious about timing and things like that. So the thought of being part of the class of 2024 instead of the class of 2023 makes me literally <laughs> go insane. Like, I don't know what to do with that concept. Like, I don't I don't want to think about it. I want to avoid it at all costs. I don't care if one of my years is scrapped online, you know, and I think that is a lot of the whole individualistic mindset and wanting things here and now. But I have a respect for people who are okay with delay. For sure. Okay, um, another pitched question is, and we did this in a previous episode, but I just think it's a it's a fun question. Is movie and show recommendations for the summer? Um, anything by Ryan Murphy. <laughs> I've been watching, I watched Hollywood, Pose, and um, The Politician, and I'm like trying to get into American Horror Story, but like, it's 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 refreshing, his perspective, because it's like, it's unrealistic, but it's hopeful. It's like in a good way because it like Hollywood analyzes, like if we go back to like post-war, um, like filmmaking, what if we gave LGBT and like black writers a chance? And it's like, obviously looking at the history and looking at, you know, people's demeanors, that's not going to happen. And it's gross and disgusting, but the way it's presented is like so hopeful and it's kind of nice to be like, analyze something in that way. For me, um, I discovered The Five Bloods on Netflix like last week and I love it so much. Like I, I was really lucky to learn about the Vietnam War in school and like I'm very interested in that. Um, so to see like this movie about the perspective of like four black Vietnam vets going back to like Vietnam is like very interesting to me. And it, it's just like a even every Spike Lee thing is very, um, I think, powerful and moving um because he's like one of the big directors he's like challenging the way people think about black people's lives okay in terms of tv shows i feel like a lot of people are like going on the the avatar binge um on netflix now netflix now it's on there um so that's what i've been doing yeah um i've been that's what i've been doing recently that's what i'm like doing now but for movies um one of my favorite movies that i recently watched was whiplash have you seen it um, with Miles Teller. Absolutely love. Damien Chazelle. Yeah, yeah. Same director as La La Land. Yes. Do I you like La La Land? I haven't seen it. I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if I would like La La Land, honestly. Like, just from books. I personally love La La Land. Yeah, Damien Chazelle, I think his father is actually a Princeton professor. Oh, that's so cool. But yeah, Whiplash, I would definitely, and like, I really like that movie. And um, my boyfriend got me to watch it. I was like trying to put it off for so long. And then I finally watched it and I was so glad that I did. So you guys should watch it too. Long story short, it, it, it sort of poses the question, how far does being a strict teacher go um, in terms of being beneficial to the student? It's very interesting. I have a recommendation um, Ashwini, two episodes ago, recommended this, but La Casa de Babel or Money Heist on Netflix. So good. I finally started because she was like, you need to see it. And I finished my Spanish requirement at Princeton, but this movie is making me think like, maybe I should take upper class Spanish. I don't know. Like I, I think Spanish is just, I, I took it in high school. I just don't want to lose it. 
is this show making me better my Spanish? I don't know. <laughs> it's so fast. I'm literally just reading the subtitles. Yeah. I've mostly learned a lot of curse words. So. <laughs> a lot of aggressive words. Yeah. And I yeah. still the aggressive words in Spanish now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's definitely my recommendation. I, I've got another one, actually. You guys wouldn't have heard of this. It's it's like, if you want a taste of UK culture, it's called Top Boy. It's about um, like gang culture in London. And it's like, it's really good. Um, I think I think you guys would enjoy it because it's like a side of London that you don't see. Like I don't. What do you guys think of London? Like I feel like every, like American people think London is like this idyllic place that is like so nice. Um, yeah. But like Top Boy shows you the other side. The Boys on Amazon Prime. That's a good show. I don't know why that reminded me. It's similar name. I watched. Like, you didn't two like it, Andrew? And what? Like this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like a synopsis. It's superheroes but if it was more realistic that's how i think about it um it sort of exposes like if there was a corporation that promoted superheroes would they actually be sincere about it how would they make it profitable uh so and it becomes like political a little yeah um 13th on netflix everyone should go see everyone's been saying that but i finally i finally just saw it and it was good very informative it's super heavy American Psycho. American Psycho. I love that movie. I just watched Athlete A last night. It's, it's, I think it literally came out like two days ago on Netflix, but it's about the Dr. Larry Nasser trials and like the USA Gymnastics team. It's, it's really good. I've got, I've got, I've got one more. Okay. To do with like, this is, this is like very UK again. Um, if you want to le- if you want to learn about racism in the UK, um, if you go on BBC BBC's website, you might need a VPN to access it, but it's fine. You can get a VPN for cheap, hopefully. Um, but there's this thing called Sitting in Limbo, which is about um, the experiences of some people in a generation called the Windrush generation, um, who are basically like um, Caribbean people who came to the UK to like rebuild the economy after World War II. And they were like constantly mistreated and like discriminated against and it like tells the story of those people and it's like very emotional i got quite emotional watching it um because like my dad could have been one of those people but he's, he's not one of those people um but he like could have been you know what's it so called? sitting in limbo it's really good very intriguing it's really title good. too yeah i like the title i might check it out you should on the topic of movies though just because i i am so fascinated by the world of movies the Oscars in 2021 were just postponed to April, which is super, super interesting. Obviously makes sense because movies have not been coming out. But the Academy Awards are such, it, it, they're like a microcosm of what is wrong with American society. <laughs> it's like people are recently realizing that people who vote for Best Picture are like, first of all, not only do they clearly not watch the movies, but it's just a bunch of old white men. And... Mm-hmm. It's crazy because as much as people say, oh, but then there it's just an Oscar, whatever. We don't have to put weight on it. But that's not true because when we talk about movies 50 years ago, we talk about what, you know, what movies won best picture. We talk about who won best actor for the role. It is like a level of recording history that we need to make sure is done right. Um, but I think there are finally steps being done to reform the Academy Awards. Hopefully there are a lot, there's like a lot done uh, with that, especially with casting and big movie productions. I mean, 
man, there is still, there's a lot of whitewashing being done, which is just like casting roles of people of color using white actors just because they're famous, you know? And it's like, you have an opportunity to finally give this role to someone else. We're seeing that with, um, with the Simpsons and Family Guy, like the Simpsons and Family Guy got rid of the, like the white people who were playing like black characters. Um, so like Cleveland Brown is played by a white guy and he like stepped down and they're like trying to get a black guy to do it now. Yeah, I, it's really fascinating how huge corporations are finally having to acknowledge their issues. Even if they're not taking the most amount of steps that we want them to take, because they are committing to like hiring more diversely um, and things like that, like now we have something to be like, you said you would, so why aren't you? Uh, there's definitely more accountability. Yeah, like the NFL finally making a statement. Not the best happening now yeah. because it took so long, <laughs> but at least they finally said something. That situation is like really annoying because they like basically outcast Kaepernick, right? And like Donald Trump denounced the guy and tried to get him kicked out of the NFL, and no one would take him on. And now Donald Trump came out came out like last week or something. He said like, "Yeah, I support him going back into the NFL," which like makes no sense. Um, I just think I think it's very strange. I just think we don't have an educated person in the White House, like. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's an understatement for sure. But as much as we as much as we say like, oh, Donald Trump is a racist, openly a white supremacist, he's also stupid. He's also like an idiot. Some of the things that he says are just so clearly backed up by like zero knowledge. Like I don't he is someone who is deliberately not trying to unlearn the validation of minority experiences in the United States. He's just an idiot. (laughs) Donald Trump is a big running joke in the UK. That's something I'm that sure. I'm not surprised. Like, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> I will say though, if you're a listener right now and you are a Trump supporter, I would love to have you on this podcast. I think in the beginning, I definitely had a struggle of like, what should I say? What do I not say? Because the goal of peas in a pod is sort of to be this like platform for anyone to talk about anything. And I don't want to make it seem like you shouldn't come on here just because you have differing beliefs from me. But I'm sorry. Like I'm also a student and I'm also using this platform. So like. I can't just shut up. <laughs> but if you really want to argue with me on anything, like, please, please come on this podcast. I would love the opportunity to discuss because that's one of the key goals of this is for people with different perspectives to, like, really learn from each other. I am not a fan of, like, cancel culture. I think a lot of, you know, like, I've reflected a lot about my ability to be really you know attack mode it's hard because you should never cancel someone's ability to learn and be better that's like the definition of anti-progress I think on the other side of that like yes I understand everyone you know everyone's learning and there's never a time where you don't need to educate yourself but there isn't like an excuse for certain things like certain things you should know is not okay. And there's certain values that you have been told or, you know, maybe if you're homeschooled from birth or something, I don't know, there's just certain things that there's no excuse. Like you can't just, you can't walk into a, a building with a swastika on the wall and and, and be like, oh, I, I didn't know that was offensive. Like there's there's no excuse. Come on now. Like there's certain things okay, I'll give you, you may not know, but no, I mean, the whole Confederate flag It's also thing. just a matter of respect sometimes. 
yeah it, it's history but like yeah it's disrespectful it's like if and if you don't know the history like educate yourself and and don't don't rely on others to educate for you like it's not anyone else's responsibility to educate you on what you should know we also can't cancel the positives that come out with something like cancel culture you know like sometimes it really does take a trending hashtag to get people on the top to listen you know because the reputation is on the line sometimes we kind of do have to utilize extreme um tactics virtually to call out people so i don't mean to be like you should not call out people in fact you should always be calling out people i think sometimes it does get like quite tiring to constantly feel obliged to educate the people around you like people should feel the obligation themselves to educate themselves about those problems so it's tricky where you draw the line between like trying to educate other people and like trying to be fulfilling yourself as well right it's never people's responsibility especially the people who are affected most directly i think a lot of like black people are getting like very tired of having to constantly call out people and constantly educate other people about like the problems that affect them like there was this um there's this big show in the uk called good morning britain and this is like big personality guy called piers morgan um anyone from the uk knows who piers morgan is he's a very like divisive character and he had this rapper a black rapper on his show called dizzy rascal and dizzy rascal released a new album and he came on the show to talk about his album and piers morgan was trying to like force dizzy rascal to talk about black lives matter and he didn't really want to he wanted to spread like positivity and like love with his album but it was kind of being like forced upon him to talk about it and i think a lot of people like that are just getting like drained and tired of constantly being obliged to talk about stuff you know yeah stop asking your black friends to teach you about racism we've been talking for a while so i think i'll just wrap up the peas there but looking back i trust me when when i think about myself now and how passionate i am now about certain issues like 17 year old susan would not care <laughs> and you guys haven't entered college yet, right? And I think it's cool to see that you're you're already aware of a lot of things that happen with our education system and stuff like that. And you'll become more aware, obviously, once you matriculate. But yeah, any final words for this episode? I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, well, that's all. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed listening. And next episode, we're actually doing one with um, a group of transfer students, which will be really interesting Princeton recently started up again receiving transfer students. So these three students are all going to be the from the first cohort, which is crazy. Like they're the class of 2021 and they were the first transfer students allowed in Princeton for a while. But thank you again, Nathan, Andrew, and Tanaya. And stay tuned. Bye. 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 Definitions belong to the definers not the defined. Tony Morrison. Peace in a Pod is a podcast created and edited by Susan Beck. Our executive producer is Alicia Somani, and our advertising director is Ali Rubenstein. Follow us on Instagram at Peace in a Pod to participate in our Peace in a Poll series, where you can voice your opinions on current events and various topics. If you'd like to participate as a guest or pitch a question to future participants, go to the link in our Instagram bio. Peace in a Pod is not affiliated with Princeton University.